0: This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension Fodcat in Salomon District with your Extension Crop Report. It's about time for farmers to start making plans to top dress their wheat fields if they haven't top dressed already. There's a lot more wheat out there this year than last year and with the current wheat market rally, there might actually be some profit in wheat this year. The key factors in considering top dressing including timing, nitrogen rate, nitrogen source, and application method Adequate nitrogen is an important part potential number of meshes per head, which is decided after the spring green-up but prior to joining. Both the number of tillers and the number of meshes are directly related to yields at harvest. The timing of application is the most important factor as it is critical that the wheat has the nitrogen early enough to do it any good. The timing is dependent on the wheat and the weather rather than the specific calendar dates and the heavy clay soils of the area, nitrogen application too early increases the risk of denitrification. Ideally, we need to wait right before the spring green-up to minimize losses and maximize wheat usage. At the latest, it needs to be done before jointing. Most of the official recommendations say to not apply nitrogen, especially urea, on frozen soils. However, I will say sometimes that is really our only option, even if we get a period of frozen soils to spread on. If urea is spread on frozen soils, it is very important for it to thaw before any snow or rain has a chance to wash it away. Application rate is ideally based upon the soil profile and test. Generally though, it can be considered that not much nitrogen is left from the pre-plant application. In total, the K-State recommendation amount of nitrogen per bushel of wheat is 2.4 pounds, but this includes pre-plant, top dress, residual end and nitrogen mineralized from organic matter. On average, in this area, that comes to about 30 pounds of pre-plant and 60 pounds of top-dressed, but this changes some based upon organic matter, previous crop, and yield expectations. Nitrogen rates need to be increased 30 to 40 pounds if it is to be grazed by cattle, but also expected for a grain crop. We have two different main fertilizer types to top-dress liquid UAN and urea. There are advantages and disadvantages to each. Liquid UAN is used when mixing with herbicides to reduce application passes. However, in heavy residue no-till situations, some broadcasted UAN is tied up on the surface residues. This can also be advantageous to help break down the residue a little before planting through. There can be some leaf burn and some timing issues when mixing with herbicide with nitrogen. Urea is less tied up in the heavy residue as it works its way down onto the soil surface. Controlled release urea mixed with standard urea can be considered in our waterlogged heavy clay soils to reduce denitrification and to hold some nitrogen back until later stages of development. This is especially a good idea for earlier than normal applications. However, it's top dress, a lot of wheat fields look pretty good this year, and they'll need some nitrogen and perhaps a little sulfur and chloride to achieve high yields. If you have any questions about soil fertility, please give me a call at 620. 620- 724 This has been James Cooper with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District.
1: Hi, this is Wendy Powell with the Wildcat Extension District, your Livestock Production Agent. What would you suppose the best time of year would be to work on livestock handling facilities? I would suggest the time of year that the facilities are not being used or when you have some time to put some thought and effort into their design. I would also suggest avoiding the time when the cowboys are bringing the critters into the pen or when the vet is on his way. The purposes of a good set of working pens are to provide a fast and efficient way to handle livestock and provide safe working conditions for people and animals and not to be overlooked A good set of handling facilities will provide a means to perform necessary management practices, such as herd vaccination or loading animals out for transportation. There is not one single design that is best for everyone. The design will vary depending on the type of livestock and even the class of animals, such as stockers versus cow-calf pairs. The size of the operation, space restrictions, and personal preferences will all play a factor in the design process. If you're looking down the barrel of designing a facility, be sure to do your research. There are commercial alley and tub systems that are easy to adjust but it might be pricey. Some are even portable. You may consider working with a consultant, or you can call your local extension office for resources. There are many strategies to be considered, like a bud box design or curved alleys and you can even combine several strategies into one design that will be best for your operation. Keep in mind that domesticated livestock have a field of vision of more than 300 degrees, so they can see quite a bit of their surroundings. So, it's helpful when loading ramps and handling chutes have solid walls. This prevents animals from seeing distractions. Animals have a tendency to move from dark areas to lighter areas, provided that the light isn't glaring. You can add a spotlight directly onto a ramp or other area that will help animals move naturally into that direction. You can also use the animal's natural flight zone to move them quietly into the direction you need them to go. Consider the sounds and loud noises around the working facilities. Some equipment is really loud and can be unnerving for animals, especially if they are not handled regularly. When you minimize the use of prods that bruise or shock, you can reduce stress. There are prods that have flags or rattle paddles that are just as effective and less stressful. Reducing stress on the animal will reduce injuries and sickness for the animal as well as the employee. And this will increase overall efficiency. For more information, give me a call at the Wildcat Extension District, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's Davin Strons, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report.
2: This is Davin Strontz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. Historically, windbreaks have been planted for a variety of reasons. Some were planted as landscaping by settlers who missed the forests of their previous homes. Others were planted as winter protection for homes and livestock. Windbreaks were also established to reduce wind erosion during the Dust Bowl era when more than 3,500 miles of tree rows were planted. An important yet often overlooked benefit of windbreaks is wildlife habitat. Windbreaks provide essential woody cover, especially in areas where no native woodlands exist. Wildlife have three essential needs for survival, food, water, and cover. A windbreak supplies cover. Cover is necessary for nesting, birthing, escape, and protection from the elements. Well-designed windbreaks provide a variety of habitat benefits and can create travel corridors to link wooded areas together. Permanent homes for wildlife can be created when locating the planting adjacent to a water source such as a pond. If the purpose of a windbreak is to protect a large spectrum of wildlife, a multi-row planting consisting of evergreens, shrubs, and tall, deciduous trees will provide permanent homes for many species of wildlife. However, if upland game birds are the desired species, then do not include tall, deciduous trees in the planting design, as hawks and owls will use them as perches to look for prey and deter upland game birds. The area adjacent to the windbreak can also be used to further wildlife habitat enhancement. This can be achieved by planting a strip of native grass, a green strip, or food plots. The best wildlife benefits are realized when windbreaks are planted in an east-west direction. During winter months, direct sunlight is available on southern roads throughout the day where wind protection is also the greatest. Successful establishment of a windbreak involves proper site preparation, good planting procedures, weed control, and supplemental watering when needed. Managing established windbreaks includes protection from wildlife and livestock. Livestock should never be permitted in a windbreak as they can physically damage trees and shrubs and compact the soil which will result in poor tree health. A firebreak around a windbreak helps provide protection from wildlife as well. Older windbreaks require maintenance to keep them healthy and functional. Removing some of the trees and or adding new plantings may be necessary. Thinning reduces the competition between trees, providing for increased longevity. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adavin Strantz with your K-State Research and Extension report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of The Horde Report. Breeding plants may seem out of reach for the home gardener, but there are several ways you can breed your plants to maintain desirable characteristics in future growing seasons. The first thing to do is determine what characteristics you want to pass on. In vegetables, the most common traits are yield, size of the plant, insect resistance, and disease resistance. In ornamentals, the primary traits are color, insect resistance, and disease resistance. In order to get these desirable traits in the next generation, the plants must be observed during the growing season and only seeds from plants with the most desirable yield, size, and resistances should be used. Not all seeds from parent plants will have the same characteristics as their parents. If buying hybrid seed, this will always be the case. You can save seed from hybrid plants, but they will almost always be of lesser quality in future generations due to how the traits are introduced into hybrid seed. If buying seed from a catalog, hybrid plants will often be labeled as F1 or F2. If you want to breed characteristics into future generations, you will need an open pollinated variety. Sometimes these will be heirlooms and sometimes they will be traditionally bred. In either case, cross-pollination will occur, so it is important to provide barriers to prevent lesser plants from pollinating better plants. In this way, you increase the likelihood of your desirable characteristics showing through in next year's plants. There are several ways to prevent undesirable pollination between plants with the characteristics you want and those without. The first and most extreme method is to cull undesirable plants from your garden before pollination can occur. Often, this only happens if poor disease resistance shows up early in the growing season. Physical separation is another option. While insects do much of our pollination, wind is also responsible for a decent proportion of pollination. By growing cultivars with different characteristics separately, you reduce the chance of traits mixing. However, if you want to try mixing characteristics, for example, crossing a cultivar known for large yields, With a cultivar known for disease resistance, the plants should remain physically close in order to receive the necessary cross-pollination from insects and the wind. Different timings of flowering is one other way to prevent cross-pollination in fruit trees with different traits. This is almost exclusively seen in fruit trees, and if cross-pollination is required for decent fruiting, which is almost always the case, It is important to buy trees that have approximately the same flowering time so that cross-pollination can occur. The Wildcat District has a new Facebook group called Gardening and Landscapes in the Wildcat Extension District. Follow the group on Facebook for weekly updates on horticultural topics. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.